Uh, Jesus didn't have a problem with people that's in the streets. He had a problem with religious people. How can I help anybody when I'm not even when I was not even able to help my own son? I would never do that. I would never do that. And I became that in a matter of minutes when they took my pain pills away. And I said, I'm not where I want to be. But thank God I'm not what I used to be. Ugh. This is Faith in Your Recovery. I am Randy Davis. Welcome to the battle. Once again, we're thrilled and excited to be with you, and we're even happier that you're with us. So we just hope you'll be comfortable, you'll listen in, you'll be able to take something away from this experience, from this interview, this podcast, maybe you haven't picked up on before. Maybe it'll be the key. Maybe it'll unlock the door you need to take that next step in your recovery. Here at Faith in Your Recovery, we make every effort to be raw, to be real, and to talk about all things recovery. And that's what we're going to be about today with our guest. Our guest today from the Anderson area here, Mr. Sean Harris. Welcome, Sean. Thank you. Thank you very much. Well, it's good to have you with us. We're excited to hear your story. Uh, I don't know how often you've shared it or what that's been about, but we're going to know after a while here. So just feel free to give us what you got. Somebody out there is going to relate more ways than one. Absolutely. Um, I've, I've given my story a few times within my recovery um, sobriety. But um, it's always my pleasure to try and share and, and reach out to others and give back what was so freely given to me. Uh, yeah, yeah, that's what we want to hear from you. You talked about your recovery. How long have you been in recovery? Uh, September the 6th of 2019, um, approximately, I'm going to say 1,251 days. <laughs> approximately but who's counting who's counting yeah (laughs) i like that good guess all right it's at four o'clock so we (laughs) (laughs) so um that's cool that's cool what was your drug of choice prior to that uh that getting clean um alcohol was my main uh choice of uh drug and then as they say um alcohol is a drug yes yes Um, I've always, I try to be careful and not always say alcohol and drugs because it's a slash instead of an and. uh, Exactly. One will do as much damage as the other depending on your condition and your use. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, we're going to talk about that here. So when did it all begin for you? No, better yet. Tell me about Sean as a young person, where you lived, what life was about, your family. Uh, share with the folks. Okay. Uh, I was born and raised in, on the south side of Chicago. Um, I was raised by a single parent. Um, my dad left when I was approximately two years old. And um, coming up on the streets of Chicago, basically my mom, she worked nights to keep a roof over our head. Uh, so we went to the babysitters a lot. Um, after uh, going to our babysitters approximately two couple years, um, it was found out that we were uh, being abused in our babysitters. So we were pulled out. My grandmother used to watch us. And then from there, we just, we uh, as we got older, um, we got to start staying home. There was four of us, and we would stay home. Um, my oldest brother was 15 then, so he would watch us. 
And uh, my mom, she would work from 3 p.m. She would leave for work. She would get home at 2.30 in the morning. She was a waitress at the same restaurant for 35 years. And um, as we got older, you know, I just started turning towards the streets at um, when I was 15 and 16 years old. Um, All of us pretty much joined gangs um, for the attention and and respect and and protection. Um, And we didn't, you know, we didn't know anything much better than that than just trying to hang out and, and... uh, make things happen in the neighborhood and and the gangs and the and, and alcohol came in back then. Um, that was a thing of hanging out and and, and drinking. Was that, as we say, drinking on the corner and yeah. Was that pretty much the norm for others round about you? That was the norm. That, um, even going, to, you know, up to eighth grade, uh, we'd get out of school and and find someone to, to, that would go in there, and as we would call. Cop us a forty ounce, <laughs> and to give it to you real. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, we would sit there and drink, and uh, that was a way of getting. I didn't know what stress was back then, but that was my way of getting rid of stress. Okay, um, so the anxieties, yeah. everything within you, even if you couldn't label them, doesn't mean you didn't have them, right? Exactly, and I, I wasn't your average uh, game maker. My street name was uh, Mister Peabody. Why was that? Based on Mr. Peabody from the cartoons? Yeah, based on my big glasses that I used to always wear. Uh, I like that. Yes, yes, I like and, that. Uh, I'm trying to see it in you. I, I can see it a little only because you mentioned it, okay? Yeah, With your, and I'll bet you wish you had his old Wayback Machine. I, I, you remember that? Transporting I, I, back in time? Yeah. Yeah, and then that's the um, you know, and then my my oldest brother had you know a much more street name, and uh, you know I was able to keep grades uh, good up until eighth grade, so that kind of added to the Mister Peabody thing. They makes sense. They went from that to professor. Okay. Uh, okay. And then it was Professor Peabody. That's that's what I ended up with. All right. All right. Yeah. That's not one of them I read a lot about. Yeah. Okay? You've already shared. <laughs> You mentioned early in life, did you suffer abuse yourself through that babysitter? I did. We were, um, we, you know, we were made to sit in the front room on a hard floor when we got in trouble and just uh, watch the TV for seven hours at a time. We can get up and come have lunch. And um, I didn't like spinach. And um, I couldn't, I couldn't stand the texture and, uh, Every time I didn't eat it, she would just put it in the refrigerator and bring it out for the next meal. And uh, there was a time that um, I regurgitated and was yeah made to eat it again. So I was, the abuse was there. It was more. It was mental. Yes. Yes. It was. It was very extremely mental. Well, uh, my sister got it uh, physically, and my other brother Keith got it physically. Okay. Okay. I. I can't imagine the anxieties, as we said earlier, everything that that created, those adverse experiences. Uh, I never liked spinach either, but I never had it forced on me. So uh, to this day, I don't want spinach from can. I'll take the leaf spinach. I can deal with that. But, uh, yeah. Well, you know, there's some cycles you have to break, and I've learned how to eat it now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> All right. Uh, I absolutely did. And, um, you know, it, it, the psychological uh, mental part was every time my mom didn't have a choice but to send us to a babysitter. So 
Makes you know, sense. the thing was, is we knew we didn't want to go and we cried out for the help, but she had no choice because she was a single parent and she kept a roof over our head though. Well, hooray for her. Absolutely. You know, sorry, she couldn't have done something else because I'll bet she would have. Yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah. And had she known earlier, she would have pulled us out. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So you took us up to kind of the eighth grade level. Your grades were doing okay. And that's when you started getting involved in negative ways with folks who, you've already said it, you found a place of acceptance. Mm -hmm. We hear that all the time with addiction. And whether you call yourself a product of addiction or in recovery, we all want to be accepted. And we will find a way to be in many times through our behavior. So tell us about that, You're the gang time. Yeah, the, the acceptance and, and the friend part. You know, you wanted, you wanted to have friends. You wanted to feel loved. You wanted, and it wasn't that my mom didn't love me. Sure. It wasn't that, you know, she, she had to work, you know, six days a week, if not seven. So, you know, we wanted that feeling of acceptance. And when it comes to acceptance, you want, you, you want to feel love. And, and, you know, I, I have friends that are called best friends. You know, I look back at them now, and, and <clears throat> I wouldn't even say that, you know, I, I would still say that they're my best friends because they took me in at a time when I was looking for that love. And actually, you know, their parents, you know. Um, but when it came to uh, moving to the streets and and the gangs and, and then it, the drinking and, and other things, it we you know, it was like that togetherness. Because um, my brothers would go one way, and I was, you know, two years younger than my oldest brother, so he had his friends, and my middle brother, he had his friends, and I had mine. Yeah. And I'm going to guess you didn't know what their home life was like, the kind of possible abuse or experiences they were having. They may have been suffering the same pains you were, and whether you guys could verbalize it or not, or were willing to for the fear of just everything that goes with that, you found a connectedness. Yeah, I did. I found a connectedness. But one thing I did notice about um, <clears throat> certain friends that I had in my life, they're called my best friends, they had two parents. Ah. And um, that made, that was, that made kind of a difference, you know, and, and when it came to, um, all of us just hanging out and, and, you know, dealing with turf wars and things like that, I noticed that they had parents that would call them in the house when the lights came on, whereas, you know, we didn't have that, you know, because she had to, you know, she had to be at work. And um, what I would do is uh, when I knew it was time for her to get off the bus because she, she took CTA, Chicago Transit Authority, there at home, um, I would hurry up and run home, and I would climb in bed, and she would come in and smell my breath to see if it smelled like alcohol. And then I would get woke up by my father, who would come, you know, two hours away to punish me. Okay. But, okay. So tell us some more about your experience, early experiences, and then moving forward with alcohol. <clears throat> what it did to your life, how it affected you, what, yeah, just how that worked. Well, in fact, you know, basically I I turned to alcohol to, to release pain. And I didn't, it gave me a no care in the world feeling. Um, I didn't worry about so much when I was drinking. I didn't worry about, you know, what neighborhood I was going over or, you know, um, 
how late I was staying out and what, you know, what bullet is going to fly past me next. Um, but I also, I didn't, I didn't think about my, uh, home life either, you know, as much because, you know, I, I see now what I didn't have then. And I think about it is, you know, I, I really did want two parents. And when I looked at other families and I, you know, just turn into the alcohol, it, it, it comforted me. And, and I, that's what I knew because all my friends done it, you know, um, and, and it just, I, I, I had that comfort feeling. I had that, you know, okay, well, I feel better now. Whatever was bothering me, it went away when I, when I would drink. And, um, it became that band-aid for band -aid. the moment. It was a that huge band -aid. gave you some peace and yeah. comfort, <laughs> even if it was negative comfort in the sense, yeah. at least it was taking you away from your pain. It was. Folks, I'm not applauding the alcohol or alcoholism, no. but we're just trying to understand it and uh, hear from Sean how it worked in his life. Go ahead. And, um, you know, because it was so much we had to watch out for out there on the streets. And, and you know, it, by not having that worrying feeling and, and the anxiety all the time and the suppressed, uh, the suppressed hurt from past things, you know, um, it just, it led to just more and more drinking. And it was the cheapest thing out there. You know, it was mind-altering. And you don't think of mind altering then. You don't, you don't, you know, I didn't think of the future, the toll that it would take on me. I just, you know, as I knew it was kind of getting me in trouble because, you know, being, being picked up, you know, didn't by the law hand there. Yeah. Out, right? <laughs> it didn't take long at all. Yes, yes. <laughs> we had somebody here we interviewed in the last week or two, and they said before doing what you're about to do, Play the tape through. Mm -hmm. And, of course, at 14, 16, you're not going to do that. No. Uh, especially when you're almost born into it due to the area, conditions, environment, and everything else. Uh, you're not going to play that tape through. You're just going to take care of the moment. Sometimes you just have to survive the moment. And we do that in the best of ways and the worst of ways. We do. At any given time, I mean, you you know, I, I can't count on two hands how many friends I've seen uh, go down from gunshots and the ones that had, didn't make it. And, you know, we don't think that those pains hurt us then, but those were the pains that I'm talking about. Those are the ones because those were individuals that we hung out with. And the more that... We went, you know, the more that I went through seeing that, the more I indulged in mind-altering substances. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm going to guess that being involved as you were, you didn't want to show a weakness. You didn't yeah. want to show the pain of a friend going down due to a bullet or that friend dying. You had to stand above that man up, however that would have worked at that time. Is that accurate? That is very accurate. Uh, there was no weakness on the streets. Um, it was called retaliation. Um, and you, anyone in their right state of mind, um, to be honest with you, I can't really say that um, I've ever 
retaliated um, just because I didn't like a person. It was because I just felt that that's what was supposed to be done. Kind of an eye sense. for an eye, tooth for exactly. a tooth, life for a life kind of thing. Exactly. And, and, and there, you, you know, a sign of weakness, you're not, you know, that's you would never make it. I mean, you yes. had it. You had to get your first tattoo when you was 15, so. Yeah, that uh, initiation, that proof of belonging Mm -hmm. and whatnot. I come from rural Indiana, and I mean country Indiana, okay? I've never had to go through something that you go through in a large city. You know, be it Chicago, Indianapolis, the list goes on forever. But to hear stories like this, to be, and please, folks, I'm not trying to demean anyone. I'm trying to understand it. You just become a product, as I've already said, of that environment. And whether it's against your will or not, you still want to see tomorrow. So you do what you've got to do. And uh, wow. So you don't think of the consequences. You don't. Consequences don't run across your mind when you know you have to protect yourself for that day or that night. Um, you know, there were there were a lot of uh, crazy things that I've looked back on, and I can't believe that I done or I was about to do. Um, when I say I was about to do, and it wasn't because I thought it through, it was because something went wrong. You know, <laughs> and uh, it took that moment away. And I think back to where. I may not be sitting here today had it went through. Yeah. Does that make yeah, sense? Absolutely. Yeah. Did you at one point or multiple points have a fear for your life? Or did you That was think almost that? every night. <laughs> um, there were very stressful, stressful times where um, we had turf, you know, may I say turf wars. Um, there were multiple times where uh, retaliation was coming on our part. You know, back to us, there was so many times that, you know, I've made trips, I had trips to the hospital where I just, you know, you, I really didn't know what happened until I woke up the next morning, you know, but fearing for your life is, was on a daily basis. That's, you know, um, it really didn't pick and choose its choice of day, (laughs) you know, um, seven days a week. Was uh, so you couldn't let your guard down at any point. No, no. So that anxiety had to continue to climb, and with that, the drinking elevates. The bigger the pain, the bigger the bottle. I'm gonna guess. Absolutely, um, daily basis, every day. That was our main. You know, that was the main goal before you started. It started. You know, it started as soon as the bell rung uh, at three thirty. Um, you went, dropped your boot back off. You was hitting the streets at four. Um, you were heading up to the nearest uh, little corner liquor store, and it started from there. Um, so was school know. a safe place, or at least a safer place than when she got home? School was, it, it was safe. Uh, it wasn't too it wasn't too bad. It was a lot of fights after school in the, in the playground area. I mean, um, you know, up. Up till eighth grade, and you know, our school went from kindergarten to eighth grade okay. on the south side. And 
you know, it, it was somewhat protected. I mean, we've had incidents before come up there, but I felt more protected there than I did, you know, when I can't, would come out in the evening yard. time. Yeah. Um, so that we did have, um, you know, more, a little more protection than it was on the streets. Yeah. yeah. Um, and when it came to, you know, when we would hang out and drink at that age, I mean, you, there was a lot of things you, you had to watch out, out for. And one of them was hangovers cause you had to do work the next day. <laughs> so we, you know, um, the real heavy things didn't start till high school. Okay. Okay. I, uh, my wife was a teacher for 41 years, rural community, small town. Her principal one time made it clear our main goal is to get our children here safely, feed them lunch, return them safely. And it wasn't because of bullets flying around. It was just the conditions of the world. And uh, with the with the extra challenges and the obstacles, I believe you're here for a purpose today, okay, that Absolutely. God pulled you through that. Yeah. Yes, he did. Yes, he did. I mean, it, there was plenty of challenges. I mean, like I said, once that bell rung, it was it was it could be a free for all for multiple reasons. I mean, we were only blocks away from from an opposite gang. Or we were only blocks away from, you know, someone retaliating. So at any given time it, it could happen. I mean, there was plenty of times we've gotten off and because we had to walk home from school, it was approximately four blocks from our our home and um Long four blocks. Yeah, it it could be a a very long four blocks at any given day. Yeah. And we walked in groups. Sure. Okay, let's go on then from the eighth grade. You've started in your gang involvement. You're becoming a part of that. You said you had to get that tattoo at 15, 15. that passage, that uh, rite of passage. Mm -hmm. Tell us how it progressed from there. Uh, progression was, you know, it wasn't hard. Just, um, you know, we just had to. Once you got the tattoo, and and once we were, you know, my my um, brother, which he wouldn't mind, you know, he he was sort of a leader. So um, a lot of individuals respected um, myself, my sister, and my brother Keith. Um, and uh, you know, it it was really. It was all about, I want to say hustling, and it really was. It was all about, you know, getting getting the money to get the next drink. Um, high school, you know, I was I was kicked out um, at my sophomore year, um, and, and you know, it was just due to never wanting to go. All I wanted to do was uh, hang out and game bang. Um, and then when we did go to school, it was hard because, you know, you had to get on a on a, on a city bus. You had to fight that gang on the bus. You had to fight to get off the bus. You had to fight to wait on the next bus. And by the time you made it to school, you were so tired. You wasn't. <laughs> you, education wasn't in there. And, and you know, with the with the strict rules of the locking of the doors, if you weren't there by seven thirty a.m., they were locking all the doors. That was to keep the school protected. That you know, it 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 just I could. It didn't you know, seem worth be, it I, at yeah, the moment. I, Took I, too I, much. It really out could. Of you. It really didn't. You know, it was, it was the longest travel in the world to get there and the longest travel in the world to get home. So during those high school years, I'm going to guess that your drinking escalated. Absolutely. 
It was definitely on on a daily basis. What what kind of quantities? By then we 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 moved from the you know the little forty ounces of beers. Now we were drinking the old, you know, it was back in the day the hard stuff, but very cheap. It was what a dollar ninety eight for for a fifth of of you know night train fifty fifty things like that. You know, um, it was the cheapest wine out there, but it get get you drunk the fastest. Get the job done. Get the job done. And um, the more the better, you know, and it just never stopped. Though. There was, like, no ending. It, you know, when that one was gone, it was time to, you know, get up on the next one. And when that one was gone, it was time to get up on the next one until, you know, before you know it, you were, you know, it it was just a never-ending thing. Um, plenty of nights by that time, I was, you know, wasn't going home at night. Um, uh, I remember, um, well, Right around that time is when uh, my brother took his life um, due to addiction, alcoholism. He was a um, a big alcoholic. How old were you at that time? I was 16. And he was how much older? He was 18. You? He was a couple years older than you. He had you. just took finished. his the, own life because the addiction had just destroyed yeah. his life. Yeah, he was that way when he went in. He went into a um, farm camp. Um, which was a juvenile prison back then. He used to have to help around a farm out in Joliet. And, uh, he'd done a year and a half and he came out, he was worse than when he went in. And, um, he came out with extreme stress and went back to the alcohol and the drinking. And he used to cry wolf all the time that he was going to do it. He was tired. You know, he wasn't going back to jail. He wasn't going back to, you know, prison. And, um, it just so, uh, happened that that one night, um, we thought it was another cry wolf, and he actually done it. Okay. That had to be amazingly hurtful for everybody. It was. Maybe not a surprise, you know, totally, yeah. but that doesn't—the uh, pain was still the same. It, it was there. Um, it was there. My mom took the blood of the blame for it. She, um, I, I, I think she took that to her grave. Um <clears throat> Because she was the last one to talk to him on the phone, on the phone, and you know, it, it kind of uh, even though we were very close knit family, that kind of started separating us. Um, we get into the blame game and yeah. even blaming ourselves, and that moves us, isolates us. Yeah, exactly. And um, she needed a break, so we ended up separating. And my brother went to the Marines at the age of. Uh, 19, my oldest brother, and um, after his funeral. And my sister and I went to Canada for a year so that my mom could try and get her head together. Did you have family there that you lived with? Mom is Canadian. Uh -huh. I didn't mention, yeah. My, oh. dad, my dad was from here, but on my birth certificate it says the Netherlands, and my mom was from Canada. All right. Yeah. All right. That explains that. Yeah. Okay. Move on and into your 20s, you know, your 30s, that kind of uh, era, and tell us about life. Well, after moving out and getting married, I've, I, by that time I'd tried, um, I've tried getting into rehabilitations maybe two or three times. Um, never really done it for myself. I, I had always, always done it for, you know, for my family or for my girlfriend or my ex-wife you know it was always for somebody else it was never for myself I just wanted to satisfy them and I would go in and act like you know I would go through the motions uh, you know and and it'll last 
till I get a certificate or something at six months or something like that. And and I get out and I do the same thing over and, and, and that repeated itself. It was the you know, doing the same thing, expecting different result routine. You know, and um just kept hitting that brick wall and um in my twenties I end up uh, having my first uh when Sean was born, Sean Junior. Um and I I pretty I wasn't ready for I wasn't ready and um I pretty much wasn't around for him. I just I I just kept doing my own thing out there in the streets. Um I would hold you know, jobs here and there, um, but never for long. Never for long. Hard to my, commit. Yeah, my commitment was horrible. Yeah, yeah. You know, there yeah. was no commitment, to be honest with you. Um, and uh, so that that continued on in my 20s and, and you know, uh, up into my 30s. The drinking continued with that, yes? And I would quit, and I would start back, and I would quit. I never had a length of sobriety, though. I've, I had never worked a program. I've always been in programs. Say that again for the folks who <laughs> might not catch that little bit of difference there that makes all the difference. Yeah, I've been in programs. I've never worked a program. Wow, I hope you heard that. He had been in programs. He had never worked them. And uh, it's just like showing up but not participating. <laughs> uh, so important fact there. That is a very important fact. Um, you know, when it comes to recovery, you know, you can put the skates on and skate straight through it. And you can you can fool everyone. But the, the best verse I always have stuck the best verse in my head is to thine self be true. <laughs> yes. You know? Yes. Um, you can't fool yourself. You as can't hard fool as yourself. You may try. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, the smile may fool the world, but exactly. uh, you know the pain behind the smile. Exactly. The tragedies that have gone with it. So there you are in your 20s or the 30s, pretty much a repeat as far as behaviors and actions. I was a repeat, uh, married twice, um, lost both of my marriages uh, due to it, um, not knowing how to be a family per- a family man, a father, um, left, uh, I've always left when my kids, you know, were noted to, um, you know, that um, my uh, alcoholism has always uh, taken the best of me, and whatever I put in, in front of uh Whatever I put in front of that is going to disappear anyway, and and I my families were always first, you know, and I would leave and 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 uh, I didn't know what a family was all about because I've always searched that when I was a kid, I always looked for that family, so I didn't know, you know what. It, now my mom loved us, she kept us in the home. But she she couldn't do both at the, at the same no, time. She did what she could she do, do under the she, circumstances. Yeah. Uh, no way can I even have a negative thought toward her. Exactly. Uh, to be able to accomplish what she did under the conditions, pretty phenomenal lady. Okay. She was very strong, right, right, right to her last day. And, uh, you know, um, I, I just... Uh, I didn't know the meaning of being a father. Yeah. Um, well, you, you haven't know, had come, that model. You no, know, and, and you know he had a, he had a great you know 
his hobby was uh, children. So I'm yeah, sorry. Gotcha. I have 19 brothers and sisters. <laughs> Say that four, again. 19 brothers and sisters, four from my mom. And, um, you know, I, I, I just, um, I didn't know how to stay home. You know, when it when it came time for that, I wanted to be out doing something. Yes. And it lost both of my families, and uh, it it led me right back to uh, to to my alcoholism and and the continuance, and that led me to prison. How long? And finally, uh, finally in <clears throat> two thousand four, two thousand four, two thousand five. I you know I just. Um, got into some real trouble, and um, I didn't get out of prison in 2010. Okay, so 2011, like five, six years. years. Okay, okay. Um, if you put all the time together, I, I've I've given the state approximately ten years of my life. Uh-huh. Um, you know, and it wasn't. It was just me trying to grow up. It wasn't that I was, I was out there. You know, maybe you know, killing or anything. It was because I was just trying to grow up and just trying to have things that I never had before. But I was I was going about it the wrong way. Yes. And um and through all that I I I never put the bottle down. So if I would sit here and say I, I could honestly say um, you know, thirty years of my life thirty to thirty two years of my life was I've always I've had the bottle in my hand. You consumed the drink, and the drink consumed you. Yes. All right. Let's let's go to move us towards your recovery. Uh, you know, I remember it was like September sixth of nineteen. Yes, that you started your sober journey. It was all right. Hit man. us with that time frame and move us up to today. Yeah, I, I love it. Um, September uh, sixth of two thousand nineteen um, was the last time that uh, last time I went went to jail and and that was my last drink. I um, I went and they were going to send me back to prison and I I just I just let them know that hey when I get out I'll still be an alcoholic. By that time I've been in and out of jail eight nine times in front of the same judge. I was on you know different warrants and and and. Um, public intoxes and so they gave me a chance and they sent me out to um they found a place out here um called the house of hope and uh this first time i've never been to anderson so in my head i'm picturing i'm being in the middle of a cornfield in this big brick building and i can't run nowhere i can't run east can't run west (laughs) so but I wanted to give it a try. Um, my mom had been, been on her deathbed for almost nine years, um, and I needed to do something. Um, I made up every excuse in the world not to go see her because I knew I would have to stop drinking. I had, at that time, I had been on the streets for uh, eight and a half years homeless, and I needed, I needed a change. And you'll probably never hear me say this, but that was um, the first time I'll ever say I was glad I was arrested. It changed my life. Um, God gets our attention, not always in the ways we'd like for him to, but he's going to get it. He he really does. Um, that was nothing but my higher power through my, you know, even through my hardest times, he, wa- you know, he watched over me. And even though he couldn't get my attention then, he knew where he wanted me, you know, because I went I went way of, of 
you know, getting out of prison, going to California, opening up a barbershop, being brought back here for child support, being held here on, you know, on probation, uh, becoming homeless for over eight years, and coming from there and then coming to Anderson that I'd never been before in my life to a recovery home where I started a new life. You know, I went that whole eight years and I did not want to go see my mom in California because I knew I would have to stop doing what I was doing and I wasn't ready to stop. So he had to get my attention somehow and he got it that way. And when he got it that way, um, I, I stayed in jail for almost five, five months and um, they gave me the chance to come out to recovery and they brought me out here on January, um, January the 7th of 2020 and um, January 17th of 2020. And my mom passed January 16th of 2020. Um, when I got to the recovery home, um, they told me to call home. And I, I had just walked in the door and uh, the director oh. told me to call home and I called home and they told me she passed. Okay. So, you know, next time I seen her, you know, was in an urn. But to this day, um, everything I do, it's not only for, you know, it's for my higher powers, for myself, but it's also for her. You know what? You were talking earlier about how rehab didn't work because you were doing it for others. Uh, you know, you didn't get into doing the program. Right. You were just in the program. But a mom's love <laughs> has a way of staying with us far beyond the grave or the urn. Uh, it, it can be that incentive because we still strive to make her proud. And you're getting there. <laughs> you're doing it with those changes. Tell us more about recovery. Yeah, recovery, is, it, it is about doing it. You know, I've, like I said, I've been in many of them. I, I never, I was never doing it for myself, you know. And it sounds like a glory story of, you know, when I sat there at her funeral and and everything ran through my head and we buried her on top of my brother as she wished. You know, I just made that last promise that this is it. You know, she she always had this thing in her head. She she kept telling me that you're going to be a pastor or, or a drug counselor one day. I, I kid you not, true story. And I'm like, there is no way I'm going to be a pastor or a drug counselor. Uh, last <laughs> and, on uh, your list, first on hers. Yes. <laughs> and um, to this day, you know, I, I think back on that, and and I I just, you know, I, I'm gonna get as close as I can. I ain't gonna say I'm gonna be a 100 a pastor or a counselor, but I tell you, I'll, I'll get as close as I can. Tell you the know? folks and what you're doing now in life, <sighs> because. Uh, this is certainly a step in both of those directions. It is. Um, within this uh, three and a half years, I've I've been a um, you know manager of recovery home. Now I, I am a, I'm a men's coordinator um, for the Christian Center. I'm you know I have never seen myself working for any type of I. I've taken peer recovery coaching classes. I've taken ethic classes. Um, I have certificates and those. I have, you know, I have, um, I work for Turning Point in Madison County. I, I wrap around a referral service uh, for recovery. Um, I do suicide walks. Um, I do multiple walks for uh, addictions and awareness. Um, and 
most of all, I give back what was so freely given to me today. <laughs> and that comes from the steps, though. You know, that comes from actually working the steps and not just reciting them. You know, I can recite uh, a big book, but to work one is to actually sit down and and go through each and every uh, page and take it apart, go through each and every step and take it apart, you know, and do the things, take the, the suggestions that I used to hear just let go through one ear and out the other. Now I take them and I, I, I You're take living them. You're living it. Yes. And it's living in you, obviously. Folks, a little bit ago when I asked Sean to share with us about his recovery, his entire countenance changed. Uh, I mean, he smiled, he's laughed, but uh, you could see it in every fiber of his visible being. It was like, yeah, man, let's talk about yeah. recovery. <laughs> and uh, we don't talk about the past to embellish it, to celebrate it. But we've got to share it to let you know where God's brought us, where Christ has has taken us. And obviously, Sean has shared that. Sean, I have a final question for you. The title of our podcast, Faith in Your Recovery, what do those four words mean to Sean Harris? Believing. Believing is something that I never thought that can be done and to have faith in something is to believe in it so faith in in recovery is to to believing in in my recovery to believe that i can i can do this to to have faith in and is to know that i can i can do this and it, it and you're doing and it. i'm doing it and it's not you know it's not something i i'm going to graduate from i have to do it every day <laughs> and i have to have that faith in my higher power that, you know, it, it, I know I can do this. And he gives me that power. Amen. Amen. It's that confidence. Well, folks, uh, wow. Thank you, Sean. It's been a treat. Uh, it's been very meaningful. We just want to remind you, as we so often do it, faith in your recovery. We believe recovery is like a rainbow. Nobody witnesses one without sharing it with somebody else. You cannot find recovery, experience recovery, and keep it to yourself. You have to share it. Sean's been willing to do that, and for that, we give God thanks. Sean, thanks. Go ahead. Subscribe, like, and share to faith in your recovery. This is Randy Davis. God bless. Amen.